0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 33, where we were dealing with God's command to Moses for the people to resume the journey to the promised land. However, God had said that he would not go with the people. He would not be in their midst because of the people's difficulty that behavior that he called them a stiff neck or an obstinate people God was subject to destroy the people in an instant. so that so God therefore had decided to send a, an angel to go with him he called him his messenger to go with the people and this distressed Moses to the point that Moses was like well if you won't go with us then then don't send us or even blot out my name. And Moses interceded on behalf of the people and God changed his mind that he would go with the people. And it ended basically with Moses', Moses acknowledgement of God's gracious uh, change of mind to go with the people and Moses desired to see God's glory. And that's where we ended the chapter. Moses wanted to see The full glory of God, but God had told Moses that no man was able to see his full glory and survive and live. So we continue with that in chapter 34. Now, although chapter 34 has some length to it, it is actually uh, an easy chapter because what we're going to do is we're going to see a renewance of the covenant. God is going to renew the covenant that he made with the people in the beginning even extending uh, the idea extending from the deliverance from egypt coming into mount sinai and those words of the covenant in principle form in principle form not every word of the covenant but in principle form especially as it relates to the event because remember The event that we are still in is the sin with the golden calves at Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses went up the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, he was there. We see this chapter 32, chapter 33. These are the incidents, that sin of the golden calf. So we're still at that particular incident. So we'll see a renewance of the covenant in a principal way, not trying to bring about every single word that God made initially, but that principle issue, especially as it relates to idolatry, or that is to the worship of God alone. So chapter 34, real simple chapter, we will see God uh, giving, granting Moses' request. Remember Moses requested to see the glory of the Lord, and God would allow Moses to see a limited form of that glory. And then we'll see a renewance of the covenant. That is as Moses is 40 days and 40 nights in the mountain again before the Lord. Uh, we'll see the, the giving of that covenant again, as I st- stated earlier, in principal form. And then Moses coming back down from the mountain like he did at the first But this time, instead of finding the people heaped in idolatrous worship, remember, before the golden calves, he'll find the people waiting expectantly for his return. And Moses will then speak the words of the covenant, that renewed covenant to the people before they uh, prepare to resume the journey. So it should be chapter 34, easy chapter uh, we'll see some repetition, which is, which will be the, the meat of the chapter repetition of the former covenant. And this, which was spoken of in, uh, Exodus chapter 23, we'll see a lot of this in Exodus chapter 23. So this is why I won't go into a lot of details as I speak of these things, because we've already spoken of this, these things, why it is a renewal of the covenant. This is nothing new. So I'll probably give a reference or a link to that um, Exodus chapter 23 and the like uh, somewhere in this video. But this is where we are. uh, The renewance of the covenant and then Moses coming down. All right. Without further ado, let's just simply get into chapter 34. This chapter should be pretty brief, even though it does have some length. Number one. Now, the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. And I will write on the tablets, the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. Okay, so let's just stop there. Even though it's not nothing difficult at all, we're preparing Moses. Is, God is preparing Moses to once again renew the covenant. So He tells Moses, "Remember that Moses, when he had come down, or uh, from the mountain and saw the children of Israel dancing in all of that uh, idolatrous worship and sexual immorality to which they were engaged, Moses, in his anger, destroyed those two tablets. Remember to the which the 10, commandments were written on so god commands moses to cut out cut out stone tablets like he had in the first because god was once again going to write on these particular tablets and also too he says that in the morning he should be prepared moses should be prepared to come up before the lord and to sanctify the mountain like he did at the first, we see this in Exodus chapter 19, where no man was allowed to come upon the mountain, no animal was allowed to come upon the mountain, or even graze at the mountain, a barrier was set because this is a holy and a sanctified place because God would come down once again to speak to Moses in that place, that is upon Mount Sinai. So Moses was to prepare himself early in the morning to bring up a couple of tablets so that God would write upon these tablets and the mountain should be sanctified for the presence of the Lord, verse four. So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took two stone tablets in his hand The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity. Transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worship. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray. Let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. Okay, so now here is where God begins to grant Moses' his request. Moses did as the Lord had told him to do in cutting out the two stone tablets. And go up early into Mount Sinai in the morning. And when Moses went up into the morning, he there began to call upon God. And that is, we see he called upon the name of the Lord. He called upon the Lord and the Lord appeared. But remember what God had said, that he would hide Moses in a cleft of the rock so that Moses would not see the full glory of God. So God did this and shielded Moses from seeing his face as God passed before Moses, allowing Moses to only see the backside of Moses. So backside of God. So Moses did to, did get uh, the opportunity to see the greater glory of God, but he did not see the full glory of God. So as God passed by, God began to declare the name of the Lord. Now, we want to spend a little time so that we can understand what God is doing. When God declared the name of the Lord, Moses already understood that the name of God, Yod Hey wow Hey, these are the tetragrammaton, the four letters of the uh, Hebrew alphabet of God's name, Yod Hey Vau Hey. We pronounce it Yahweh. Some call it Yahweh, but and the, but again we the pronunciation of God's name has been lost over time but nevertheless it is not so much that God is revealing his name the personal name to Moses but God is speaking of his attributes that is in the name of God it it, it entails certain attributes of God and and we have to remember this now the scene that all of this is coming about in the sin in the golden calf incident that is the idolatry the great sin that israel has committed the response of moses and we see the response of god the response of moses and, you know, we saw Moses' anger, but ultimately we saw Moses' intercession on behalf of the people, pleading for forgiveness. That's what we saw with Moses. What also did we see with God? We also saw God's response, the response of judgment. Remember, Moses says unto the uh, sons of Levi, gird your loins up and put your swords to your side and go about from house to house and kill all the uh, 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 impenitent sinners, those who persist in their rebellion in idolatry and kill them. The response of God in his judgment on sinners who refuse to repent. But at the same time in how God responded to Moses, when Moses said, when remember uh, in responding to God, I will not go up with you. I will not be in the midst of the people. And what did Moses do? Pleaded for forgiveness. What did God do? He changed his mind. He he had forgiven the people. So what's the point? In the name of God, we see as listed here, certain characteristics of God. God speaks of his nature God speaks of the nature. So in the name of God, it involves the nature of God. And what do we see? And this is what we see when, we, uh, uh, blah blah, 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 blah. What we see in verse number six, as God passed by, he began to do what? Proclaim the name of God. He spoke about his nature. And again, notice what I just said to you guys, how all of this relates to the situation that we have with the sin of the golden calf, the the forgiveness of God and the judgment of God. And this is what we see in the name of God that is being expressed here. Okay, the nature of God. Six, he says what? The Lord, the Lord God. So we see that emphasis that is being placed here on the nature and the characteristic of God as it relates to his name. God's nature. Tell me about his nature. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. So we can see all of that as it relates to what? The forgiveness of God. And this is what we see here with Israel in her great sin, idolatry, with the golden calf. But nevertheless, even though God, remember now, God had said unto Moses, I will destroy all of them. And from you, I will make a nation who will inherit the promised land. But notice God did not destroy all of them. And this evidence, this was the proof of his what? Of his compassion, of his what? Of his grace, of him being what? Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We see the chesed, we see the love of God in God's gracious act of forgiveness to his people. And in thus, God proclaims what? His name. This is a characteristic of God and of truth, that word truth, a myth, which we can basically understand as faithfulness. God is, as we see in the New Testament stated, God is faithful. So God proclaims certain things about his character that speak to his name. What? compassion and graciousness, being slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and his faithfulness. And all of this we can see demonstrated in how God dealt with the people in the act of the sin in the golden calf. And then he continues on talking about the keeping of loving kindness for thousands, forgiving of iniquity and transgression and sin. How that God acts this way in what compassion and grace being slow to anger, being forgiving, how God acts this way to those who are uh, repentant of their sins. So what can we say? What is God? And this is the beautiful thing about it. Okay, let me, let me move on because I'm making it longer than I had anticipated it. But this is one of the most important sections in all of chapter thirty-four, what can we say about God? Is this that for those who are uh, penitent, for those who are broken-hearted uh, for, uh, and broken because of their sins, tell me something about the face of God. Tell me something about when I say the face, that means the disposition of God, the position of God towards. Of penitent sinners is God is slow to anger, that God is a God of forgiveness and that God remembers his faithfulness towards those who have sinned and yet weep for sin. And we can kind of see this same idea as Jesus spoke in his sermon on the mountain. Blessed are those who weep. Why but those who are brokenhearted for their sins. Why? They receive this favorable response from God. They experience the favorable nature of God, his long suffering, his kindness, his graciousness, because they do what? They repent because of their sins. And this tells us who our God is. Now, you know, always we try to bring about The practical understanding, in practical we say what? I know that we're discussing in commentary form what is going on in Exodus 34, but always we want to see what do these things mean for us, even us as God's people. It tells us about our God, slow to anger, a gracious God, a God who is always desirous and willing to forgive our sins, but his expectation is that we have, we come to him in a penitent form. You come to God in repentance, sorrowful for our sins, and therefore God lets us know what we can expect from him, that he will be what? Gracious to our sins and he will blot out such transgressions. So that's what God is saying about his name. The wonderful graciousness of our great and holy God, one who forgives sins of his people. So that's what he says about the first thing concerning his name. But notice what he continues to say. Yet, verse number seven, he will by no means leave the guilty unrighteous. Punished. Now, this is it, it, it's it's a very unique. It, it's a unique Hebrew, uh, the grammar of it in Hebrew. Uh, let let me tell you how it goes. Wa wa lo ya nake. And I, you know my pronunciation is always awful, but nevertheless, the Hebrew is unique, and it says, and and he will not. Uh, uh, uh the idea is to, to pass by, but the meaning is leave unpunished. It, he will not. So it gives it in the emphatic sense and that's what I'm trying to bring about. show you how the Hebrew grammar is giving uh, us this particular aspect of God's person, his name in an emphatic way and this is why they translated, he will by no means, because what by no means is not really so much as in the text, but it is what is being implied in the text by the emphatic manner to the which it is written. Lo That emphatic, he will by no means release, he will by no means leave unpunished. So what is the point? Do uh, let me say it this way. All right, now our God is a gracious God, a good God, a forgiving God. He seeks, He desires to forgive the repentant sinner, but don't make no mistake. Now that's the idea. Make no mistake that those who are un, who are unrepentant to the sinner who persist in his sins, do not play God weak. Do not think because God is gracious and God is forgiving that you can continue in your sins and God will do nothing about it. That's what the point of it all is. God will surely judge the unrepentant sinner. What? He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will do what? Visit the iniquity of the father and the children, the children and the children to the third and fourth generation. That is God will bring punishment on the unrepentant sinner to such a degree that such punishment, the consequences of the judgment of God will even be felt by that sinners children and even grandchildren, even up to the fourth generation. That is God will bring severe punishment and judgment to the unrepentant sinner. So we see things. So what is he doing? What is God doing? He is declaring his nature to Moses. And we see that God, even though he knows that we sin and we will sin he desires for us to have a repentant spirit and god would respond favorably graciously he, he he doesn't have to and he shouldn't but we see a part of god's wonderful nature and this is what we call grace he does not have to and he shouldn't because our god is what he is a holy God and therefore he has every right to judge sin. Okay? But nevertheless, if you come to God repentant, then God is gracious. He is merciful. He's slow to get angry and bring judgment upon you, but he desires to forgive you. So we see this gracious nature about God. But then there's another side. What? to those who have who are obstinate remember that's the whole point that Moses kept saying about the people they are an obstinate stiff-necked people but to those who are obstinate and unrepentant what is God's position with them it says don't fool yourself Don't you think that God is some granddaddy in heaven sitting in a rocking chair, just watching sin go on and he ain't gonna do nothing about it. And that's why we brought in that Hebrew grammatical expression, no for certain, or as it is translated here, he will by no means uh, 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 let the guilty go unpunished. God will certainly punish the guilty To what degree he will punish them so hard until their great-grandchildren will feel the consequences of the judgment, okay? And this is what he's talking about. So God proclaims his name. He speaks of his character and all of this in the background of the judgment of what this calf scenario. God has displayed both judgment as well as judgment. Forgiveness. And so as he did these things, we see Moses bowing down to the face uh, uh, of the earth. And then Moses, as he is beholding a partial glory of God in this worshipful uh, scenario, Moses therefore pleased to God and says, Lord, take us as your people. I understand that we are a difficult people to deal with. But nevertheless, Lord, dwell at our midst as you had determined to do and take us as your people. And then it is after that that we get into this next section and I'm gonna shorten it up a little bit again because what, I've already reviewed this. So I only speak of it, I, I, I just deal with it point for point, not in great detail. But the next section is a renewal of the covenant. Okay. That is God has already spoken these words to Moses and spoken these particular issues that he's going to deal with. So He's just simply saying to Moses, in a sense, if you'll let me say it this way, guys, okay, we can have a fresh start. Let's just start all over again, so to speak. Okay. And so this is the idea of what takes place uh, for the most part Towards the end of all of this chapter, verse number 10, then God said, behold, I'm going to make a covenant before all of your people. I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among all the nations and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you and the, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you'd make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst, but rather you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their Asherim for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. And you might take some of your daughters for your sons and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Okay. Let's stop at verse number 16. So what happens? So God is saying that he is going to, we see a renewance of the covenant and that God will make a covenant to do a mighty work. And this once again, God is simply restating what he is going to do and how he will bring the people into the land of promise, sometimes referred to as the land of Canaan. And he will bring them into the land of Canaan with a mighty hand doing mighty works that no one has ever seen before in the midst of Israel, that Israel herself, has never even seen before. So God is going to, with an outstretched hand, mighty hand of deliverance, bring the people into the land. Hence, therefore, the people need to be careful to observe all the commandments of the law. The commandments of the covenant, the commandments that God is giving Moses to give to the people that the people should be obedient to the Lord, their God, with respect to what God is about to do and is going to do. In other words, live right, doggone it, and observe the covenant of the Lord that God is going to do. And notice what we see, the very emphasis that God is placing here. That is, be mindful of idolatry. Remember what I told you guys earlier, how all of this is in the backdrop of Moses coming down from the mountain the first time, and what were the people doing? What had the people done? They had made these golden calves, worshiping the calf, and all of this idolatry that was involved. So again, God is warning the people of, not just simply past idolatry, but future idolatry, especially of idolatry, because what? The people in the land to the which they are going, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and all of these things right here, they are seeped in their idolatrous worship. And so, therefore, Israel is not to be entangled in idolatry once again. So, what does he say? What well, does God say to Moses? make no covenant with the people. And you understand what the idea of covenant is to come into some type of relationship with the people. Don't get into any agreements with them at all, because in their agreements, there is always the weariness of getting involved in their idolatry. And that's what he says. Make no idolatry, make no covenant with the people. Then he says, what, why? tear down their altars tear down their sacred pillars tear down their Asherim. in the covenant making with these people always that 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 chance because these people are are worshiping in their idol their idol god so therefore all of the covenants that these people will make will they will swear these people will swear by the name of their gods so therefore, you Israel, make no covenant with them, because you don't want nothing to do with their idol gods. So what do you do with respect to their idol gods? Tear them down, obliterate every essence of their gods, and that's what he talks about. What their altars and sacred pillars, and their Asherim. The Asherim were nothing more than poles. These were poles of female deity. Uh, of Asherah, Asherah was the Phoenician or the Canaanite Phoenician or Canaanite Canaanite deity, who was the wife of Baal, and these were fertility gods. But the point is, they are idol gods. So every essence, every symbolism of their idol gods, tear them down. Why? Because God says, "You worship me." and me alone, and God declares himself to be what? A jealous God, and we can see that uh, being symbolized again in Exodus chapter 20 when God stated that Israel should have no other God, that God himself was a jealous God. But he says he continues on in the issue of making no covenant with the people of the land because you might yourself get involved in their idolatry, have... Why? They may invite you to some celebratory feast of theirs, and in their celebratory feast will be the worship of their gods, and what do you do? You end up what? Worshiping and sacrificing to their gods. You may end up even further going what? Intermarriage. He warns them of intermarriage. Don't take their daughter's to your sons and don't give your sons to them, your daughter, I'm sorry, your daughters to them in marriage. Why? Because in that invitation to marriage, what? These women are involved a lot of times in that sexual right, and a lot of times it would be a sexual right in the worship of these idolatrous gods. But the point is, as your sons take them into marriage, they themselves become involved in idolatry, and what happens? The whole nation will end up being carried away into idolatry, and <laughs> this is exactly what ended up happening to Israel and to the which that led to its destruction. And we don't want to get into all of that, but to the destruction of Israel, uh, uh, 722 BC, and the destruction of Judah in 586 BC. And the primary reason for this was idolatry. That is the very thing that God warned them about was the very thing to the which they did. They failed in that respect. So the whole point that we're talking about here is, and I'm cutting it short, is the warning of idolatry, the very idolatry to the which what they just were involved in, in the golden calf, this warning for the future, because what you're going to see a lot of idolatry when you get into the promised land from the nations that I will eject from the promised land so that you can be settled so that I will settle you into the promised land. You're going to see a lot of this idolatry. So I warn you ahead of time, do not get involved with this in any respect. Make no covenant with the people, make no marriage with the people with respect to their idolatry. Tear it all down and keep yourself as a holy people unto Yahweh himself and Yahweh alone. Okay. Verse number 17. So then he continues on. You shall make no molten gods. And the whole point is, notice, make no molten gods. God. Th- and that's exactly what Aaron made uh, uh, with the calf situation. Remember that's what the, all of it about. Notice the whole point. And I'm speaking a little too fast because I'm trying to move to the text so I won't be so repetitious. But as I said to you, the whole fact, fact of everything is, what just happened? The s- situation with the golden calf and the whole idea God is saying, don't do that. Stay away from idolatry in all of its forms, okay? Now let's continue. 18. And and, and the whole point as it continues here is he speaks the words of the covenant in principal form with respect to the worship time. He speaks the words of the of the covenant, the covenant God had already made, not trying to cover every little thing that he said, but in a principal form of worship. And remember, we talked about this principal form of worship God gave in agricultural festive times. That is, he'll speak about days in which we have agricultural seasons to the, which Israel would have some form of worship. Okay. And we're not going to get into all the respects of what that meant, but this is simply the point that God is making as God consolidates their worship to himself. He consolidates their worship to himself by giving them their specific form of worship on their specific days or seasons of worship. And this worship would be dedicated to God, Yahweh himself and Yahweh alone. So we see the idea of that rejection of idolatry. And that's basically the idea. All right. So now let's move through it. 18 You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for 7 days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Aviv for in the month of Aviv you came out of Egypt the first offspring of every every womb belongs to me and you and all your male livestock the first offspring from the cattle and the sheep You shall redeem with a lamb, the first offspring from a donkey. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. None shall appear before me empty handed. So now let's just talk about this very quickly. So he talks about the celebration of the feast of unleavened bread. Remember what I just told you about what these festive days indicate that dedication of the people unto God himself in their worship of God, Yahweh, the true God alone. He brings about the feast of the unleavened bread. So God is speaking about, once again, what took place in the uh, deliverance, Exodus chapter 12, right? What, uh, Exodus 12 as well as uh, Exodus chapter 23. The deliverance of the people from Egypt in the Passover. What happened? Remember, God sent the angel of death And then the angel of death killed the firstborn of Egypt of people, even of the animals. So we see the feast of, and and after that, remember immediately after that, uh, um, the death of the firstborn, which was the Passover, which is the Passover, was to be the feast of unleavened bread, which which indicated that, uh, dedication of life, sanctification of life being set apart for God forever. Uh, unto God because of what God has done in the deliverance of the people, the Passover. Okay. So this is all that this is speaking of, but we see the feast of unleavened bread. He commands them to celebrate that once again, which was the, uh, uh eighth day in totality, but seven day feast plus one additional Sabbath, uh, celebration of this particular feast. And we see the redemption of the firstborn, That is, once again, I've talked about all of this, so I hate to do a lot of repetition of this, but I think it was in chapter 23 as well as in chapter 12 and 13 of Exodus that we talked about these things. But again, that because in the Passover, what did we see? The death of all the firstborn of Egypt. So therefore God claimed the firstborn of Israel to be his and Israel therefore, had to redeem their firstborn of births of people as well as of animals. And in the redemption of the firstborn of Israel, this was to be be done by virtue of an offering in sense of buying it back from the Lord. And this is when God says, you don't appear before me empty handed. So in the redemption of the firstborn, you buy them back. And this is to be given as an offering before the Lord. Okay, so again, all of this is simply saying in their worship of God as the true God in the worship that God has given them for the worship of himself and himself alone. But the idea is renewance of this covenant. So God continues on. Verse number 21, you shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. You shall celebrate the feast of weeks. That is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingatherings at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all of your meals are to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will drive out nations before you. And enlarge your borders and no man shall covet your land. And when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord, your God. Okay, so now in this section, once again, he emphasizes what? The Sabbath, verse number 21, that the six days you work and then the seventh day you shall not work even during the harvest season. Okay, remember, because the harvest season will be the busiest season of the year. Nevertheless, this is still no reason not to observe the Sabbath day. Then God reminds them again about celebrating the Feast of Weeks. We understand this as the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Pentecost. And then he talks about the Feast of Inn Gatherings, also called the Feast of Sukuth, okay, uh, uh, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. So he speaks of um, three particular fea- festive times to the which, remember, this feast uh, uh, speaking these agricultural uh, uh, worship type things, okay, Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread. Feast of Weeks, also called the Feast of Pentecost, and then finally the feast in the seventh month, the Feast of gatherings. These three particular feasts that Israel is commanded, where all the males are commanded to appear before the Lord. So whether so, where, wherever the tabernacle structure is, all Jewish males are to go there during these three festive times to appear to worship before the Lord during these festive times. And we also understand that once the temple is to be built, that all the Jewish males are to appear before the temple. So wherever God has set forth that tabernacle presence, all Jewish males are to appear before the Lord. And then the Lord assures them saying that God will protect their land and their inheritance. When all of the males are to appear before the Lord, it would leave the people in the sense, notice that if the women do not go or whatever are left or whomever are left behind of the women and children, they would appear to be unprotected. So God promises to protect them. He promises that I will protect your inheritance while you go up to worship. And this is what God is saying. Notice for our verse number 24, I drive out the nation before you enlarge your borders so that no man shall covet your land while you go up to worship me. So we see what? The emphasis as God is renewing that covenant with the people, he is emphasizing their worship to him in a dedicatorial sense that I and I alone am your God. All of this is opposite, is in contrast to what? The worship of the gods of the people of the land to the which God will bring them into or even in acting in this idolatrous fashion, making of molten gods to the which they did when they were at the foot of the mountain. Okay, let's continue on. 25, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover to be left until the morning. You shall bring the very first of the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words in accordance with these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so we finish this particular section when God uh, uh, talks about, once again, uh, uh, the, the, the sacrifice, the absence of leavened bread, no sacrifice whenever there is a form of worship is to have leavened bread. Remember we talked about that earlier because leaven is a spiritual indication for pride, namely even sin. Okay. And then he once again talks about the, uh, the sacrifice of the Passover that it is not to be left in the morning. Again, a reiteration of what God was saying to Moses chapter 12, chapter 13, concerning the Passover sacrifice for, uh, for the Passover, for that great deliverance from Egypt, how none of it was to be left into the morning. And he, then he talks about the giving of their best, the feast, uh, uh, the first fruits you should bring to God, your first fruit in all of your giving, you give to God your best. Then it brings about the instance of the boiling of uh, of a calf in the mother's milk. Now, we don't want to get into all of that. We talked about all of this once before, but the whole instance of this is uh, uh, idolatry. That's basically what it's talking about, boiling of the young calf in the mother's milk. So again, this is dealing with a principle of the avoidance of idolatry. Such idolatrous ways idolatrous actions that were done by people around them or people who were even in the land of promise. Any act of idolatry, avoid that because this was an act in which they did, the people of the land. They were born the young uh, uh, calf in the mother's milk. But Israel was not to do these things, okay? All right, and then God says unto Moses, what? to write these words down. So once again, remember, we go all the way back now to the beginning of the chapter when God commanded Moses to take two tablets and then he would write down the 10 words or we call them the 10 commandments on those two tablets as well as what? The covenant words that God is speaking to Moses, okay? So all of this is now done that what in the duration that Moses was once again, like he was at first, in the mountain, receiving the tablets of God. Moses now receives tab- another set of tablets of God, like he did at the first, receiving the covenant of God. Again, like Moses is now receiving the covenant of God. Not in every single word, but the principle of that covenant especially with the expression of God. Yahweh is to be Israel's only God and avoid idolatry at all costs. Notice against the very backdrop of what? The idolatry of the golden calf. Avoid that idolatry. Avoid idolatry in the future. Why? God is gonna bring them into a land of promise and these people gonna be full of idolatry Avoid all idolatry. Make no covenant with the people and all of that. So write all of this covenant, right? Write all of this covenant. Once again, write these 10 commandments upon the stone. And once again, Moses is what? In the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, neither eating nor drinking the same as he was at at the first, as God does what? Renews the covenant that he has with the people of Israel because Israel has has so soon broken the covenant, but God, what? Let's proclaim the name of God. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and has forgiven their sins. God will once again go up with the people into the promised land, okay? So all of this renewance of the covenant. Now let's bring it to a close, verse number 29. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, all the sons of Israel came near and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Now, even though this section seems a little lengthy, it is the easiest section of all. So what happens? Moses finally comes down from the mountain, having, having received the new tablets that God had written on as well as the covenant Moses received once again. He comes down and all of Israel sees the face of Moses, but Moses didn't realize that because he was Moses, was in the presence of God, The glory of God had been absorbed into the skin of Moses, causing Moses' face to shine. Moses didn't realize this, but the children of Israel, Aaron and the leaders of Israel and the people saw Moses' face. And this was shocking to see a man's face shine this way. And so they kind of ran away. And so Moses had to call them back call him back. He said, it's okay. He had to calm them down. And Moses began to speak with the people, the words that were commanded by God. And the idea is as Moses is speaking to the people, the words of God, the people are beholding Moses' face shine with the glory of God, evidencing this became evidence of Moses' What I am saying to you is from God. So as Moses spoke to the people and his face shone, he spoke the words of God. And then the chapter ends and it talks about the customary way of Moses doing things. That is, so it was, so it was, so understand it this way. So, so it was when Moses would go up to speak with God He would always unveil his face and allow his face to absorb the glory of God as God would speak to Moses. To the intent, Moses would come down with his face still shining and Moses would relate to the people as his face shone with the glory of God. He would relate to the people the words of God. As Moses finished speaking to the people, then he would cover his face once again. So this is the idea that is given, that Moses came down from the mountain here at this time, chapter 34, face shining. Speak the word of God when he's finished speaking with the word, uh, the words that God had given to Moses to speak to the people. When he finished speaking, he put the veil on his face face. And this became customary with Moses. And a final word that I would say here, this also Paul speaks about in second Corinthians concerning the glory of God, but at the same time, the passing of the law. And I'll say, I'm going to make this short. The pa- and that is Moses covered his face. Why? Because that same glory that was shining fiercely from the face of Moses would begin to fade away. And the sense that Paul is speaking of is, Moses put a veil on his face so that the children of Israel would not see the glory fading away. They would not see the glory fading away. So Moses would go back, when God would call him again, Remove the veil, reabsorb the glory, and then the face of Moses will begin to shine again. And Moses was, he'll let this glory be seen to Israel as he spoke to the people of Israel. But as that glory began to fade, he would veil, he would veil his face. And Paul is simply saying this as the glory faded, this was an indication that the law itself, that is the law of Moses was not intended to be, to remain forever, that the law itself is fading. That is the law of Moses would one day come to an end. The intent of God was not that the law of Moses would abide forever. But that the law of Moses would have its administration for a time. And at a certain time, the law of Moses would fade, come to an end. And the law of Moses faded, came to an end, its administration came to an end at the death of Jesus on the cross. And now we have a new covenant. All right. Thanks for joining me with chapter 34. We've now made that, we've completed that. Ended up being a little longer than I had anticipated. But the idea is simply, we see basically three things. What? God granted uh, 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 the prayer of Moses to see the greater glory. That's the first section. When God passed through and Moses saw a a greater glory of God. And in that, we see revelation. Revelation that God proclaimed the name. That is, he talked about certain attributes, the merciful and gracious nature of God, and also the punitive nature of God for unrepentant sinners. Mercy to those who repent, and judgment to those who will not repent. And then we saw in the next great section in talking about the feast, uh, 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 unleavened bread and and the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and Feast of the End gathering, and then the mention of the Sabbath, and then other commandments speckled throughout, we saw. But the whole idea is in these feast-festive times, we see the dedication of Israel to God alone, that God alone Yahweh should be their God and they should worship him alone. And that's uh, that section of all of that in the renewance of that covenant in principle form. And finally, we see in the third section of chapter 34, what Moses then coming down from the mountain with his face shining and he giving the people of Israel the covenant words of God as this became customary for Moses to do as he would go up to God, receive the glory of God in an unveiled face, speak those words to the people of Israel when he came down and then afterwards cover his face. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me with all of that. So join me next time as we continue in the book of Exodus and go into chapter 35 and we deal with the erection of the tabernacle. See you then.